1: me to Mark the 11th chapter. Mark chapter 11. We're going to read verses 11 and 12. I'm sorry, 12 and 14 and then 12 through 14. Then we're going to skip down to 20 with some chatter in between. Mark eleven twelve 12 says, and on the morrow The next day, when they were come from Bethany, they were going to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. This could be a confusing passage of scripture because you would wonder why Jesus was looking for figs on a tree when the figs were not yet in season. And why would Jesus curse this tree? I know a lot of people, including some Bible scholars, have a problem with it because they find issue with the the passage of Scripture because they believed that that could have been somebody's tree. And Jesus didn't have no business cursing it. And uh, before I go any further, let me just say this, Jesus could do whatever He wants. It all belongs to Him. Everything, the earth and the fullness thereof, everything in it, on it, around it, all belongs to God. So it's His property. Everything that we own, everything that you own, my car out there, belongs to God. I'm just a steward of what he gives me to watch over. Amen? But these people feel like Jesus was too harsh by cursing this fig tree and declaring it to be fruitless forever. But on the fig tree, unlike other fruit-producing trees, the fruit appears before the leaves. So if there's leaves on the tree, it should be bearing fruit, and so it was advertising fruit by showing the tree, the leaves, and you could say it was, uh, and I've heard one minister say this in the past, I think it was when we were going to Raymond, uh, it was a, a woman, not that that makes any difference, but she said that it was a hypocrite tree. <laughs> It was standing there on the hillside and it's waving its green, beautiful lush leaves saying, Come on, I got fruit, I got fruit. But when Jesus got there, there was no fruit. And you know, uh, a hypocrite is something that pretends to be or appears to be something that it is not. And Jesus took issue with hypocrites. He didn't, he got miffed at hypocrites because they misled people and deceived people with their false pretenses and that's exactly what this tree did with his pretentious leaves waving in the wind and advertising fruit that it didn't have but Jesus would rebuke religious leaders so it's nothing new for him to get miffed at something that's hypocritical even if it's a tree or an inanimate object he'd say you hypocrites as it is written, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Mm-hmm. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, hypocrites. You devour, devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. In other words, they're pretending to pray and they do it only in front of people. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, again, religious leaders hypocrites because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous woe unto you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for ye are as graves which appear not and the men that walk over them are not even aware of them in other words hypocrites can be deceptive that's how this tree was it was deceptive but we have to understand that the fig tree is actually a type of Israel In Matthew chapter 24 when Jesus disciples asked him what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? That was a legitimate question. When is the time of your coming in the end of the age? It, It didn't say the end of the world. It said the end of the age. What age? The end of the church age. So he identified in Matthew chapter 24 four types of end time signs. Number one was signs in the world wars earthquakes famines lawlessness upheavals of nature in other words wild and crazy weather and then number two was signs in the church worldwide gospel preaching persecution apostasy false prophets and false doctrines. Number three, signs in Israel, invasion, severe persecution of Jews and the continued rejection of his Messiahship. All signs that he pointed to. And then finally signs in the heavens. We could talk about these all day, but we're talking about fearful solar and cosmic disturbances, eclipses, asteroids, blood red moons and so on and so forth. But he give us signs of the end time. Signs to watch for his coming and the end of age. And Jesus said that when you see these signs, then know that the kingdom of God is near. And he said these signs point to the seven years of tribulation. I would say that it points to the rapture of the church, but it doesn't. The rapture of the church is signless. There are no signs for the rapture of the church, but there's plenty of signs for his second coming when he sets up his millennial kingdom here on the earth. So when we see those signs, we have just back up seven years and we know that's the time of the rapture. But uh, he's talking about his imminent return. He is coming back and the establishment of his millennial kingdom here on the earth where he'll rule and reign from Jerusalem on an earthly throne, the throne of his ancestor David. So anyway, Jesus addressed that it was important to watch for these signs. He said, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And we don't, but we can get awful close. I believe he's coming on the Feast of Trumpets. I don't know if it's this year or next year, but the Feast of Trumpets lasts two to three, four days. So even if he comes on the Feast of Trumpets, we don't know what day and we don't know what hour, but we know it's close when we're uh, approaching the Feast of Trumpets. But after describing the end time signs of watch for, Jesus gave this seemingly mysterious parable. He associated the observation of the end times and the end of the age with the parable of the fig tree it turns out that understanding this parable is the key to unlocking the mystery of what is now happening in the earth and in the world and how close that we are to his return we don't again we don't determine times we don't try to predict times but i can tell you with every bit of assurance that's in my heart that the time is close he's getting closer and closer but the parable leads to a very important sign and one promised by the prophet isaiah in isaiah eleven twelve. 12 he said he uh concerning jesus return he said he
0: god will set up a sign for the nations
1: and we find that sign in the parable so jesus is not talking out of context he's still talking about the same thing here in matthew 24 and then in, in verses uh, matthew 24 verses 32 and 33 he said now learn this parable from the fig tree he wants us to learn something he says when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves you know that summer is near here's your sign so you also when you see all these things the signs that he just talked about in the previous verses know that it is near at the doors and he's talking about the the close of the church age and his imminent return. And then in verse 34 he says, verily, and when he says verily it means surely, it will surely happen, he says you can take this to the bank. I say unto you this generation shall not pass till all these signs be fulfilled. Now we know he was talking to the disciples some 2,000 plus years ago when he said this generation, but he wasn't talking about the generation that we're living in. He was talking about what he said in the previous verses, the generation that is alive when you see the sign of the fig tree. He said that generation will not pass until all this is fulfilled. So uh, uh, again, it doesn't seem like the parable fits here but it does because the fig tree represents Israel. The fig tree is a symbol of Israel. And the branch has already become tender and it's already putting forth its leaves, which means there should be fruit on that tree. So the, the blooming of the fig tree represented Israel becoming a nation in 1948 that was a good year that was the year I was born so I'm part of the generation that Jesus was talking about you're part of the generation that Jesus was talking about but anyway so we know that summer is near or we know that the end of the church age and his second coming is near so from 1948 till now uh, Israel has been booming. It's been growing. The Jews have been returning to Israel. They're preparing. They're rebuilding the temple, preparing for sacrifice and, and everything like that. But the generation that should not pass is the generation that we're living in right now. So you can thank God you're living in times that the prophets uh, wish that they could see and be here and see. Of course, they're going to see it from heaven. But we're going to partake in it. See, Jesus cursed that fig tree in our opening scripture, not because he was hungry. Yeah, he was hungry, he was human, he got thirsty, he got hungry, he got tired, he got everything that you get. But that would not motivate him to curse a fig tree because we know he can go 40 days and 40 nights without food. Uh, Maybe even further than that, maybe longer than that. So he didn't curse it because he was hungry. But because it was a type of the current hypocritical Jewish church that was living at that time, uh, it had the appearance of fruit, but it had none. See, Jesus came to earth seeking fruit from his own people, the Jewish people, his chosen people. And when he got here, he found none. He didn't find any fruit in the Jewish church. So he cursed the fig tree as a symbol of its fruitlessness and it was a symbol of the fruitless Jewish church at that time and to this day the synagogue of the Jews has been unfruitful. It hasn't produced any fruit for the kingdom of God. So his parable come to pass it was it was a real deal. It wasn't just because he was hungry that he cursed that tree. He was cursing the Jewish people for not being fruitful and becoming so religious that they, all they thought about was themselves. That's why he called them hypocrites so often. But let me retract that. I don't want to say they haven't produced one piece of fruit, but uh, the Jewish synagogue itself hasn't. But there are Messianic Jews that uh, come to believe in Jesus. But they broke off from that type of religion in that uh, synagogue and they are producing fruit for the kingdom of God. They're getting Jews saved, but they're no longer a part of that Jewish religion. So, so it stands true that the the Jewish synagogues haven't produced any fruit for the kingdom of God. And this is why Jesus was cursing the tree. It was more symbolic than it was anything else. and. and uh, You know, James refers to souls as the precious fruit of the earth. And it will continue to be that way. The Jewish synagogue will continue to be the way that it is until Jesus comes. Or the end of the church age. Then, of course, we know that the Jews come alive then. They realize their mistake. and uh, Of course, we're going to have 144,000 evangelizing Jews. They're going to bring much fruit. Uh, into the kingdom of God. But anyway, Mark 11 verse 20, it says, and in the morning they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. So uh, he was on his way to Bethany the night before, and the next morning he's coming back from Bethany towards Jerusalem, and that's when Peter sees the tree dried up And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto Jesus, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. So Peter was surprised at it, as I'm sure the disciples were. And they couldn't comprehend why that fig tree should so soon wither away. Uh, But it should be easier for us to understand it now because of what we just learned. But this was the fate of the Jews who rejected Christ. Again, it was symbolic. And Jesus is saying this is the fate of the Jewish church and everyone that rejects me as a Messiah I mean this was the the fate of the Jews they wither they die and eventually they're thrown in the fire because that's what you do with dried up wood you put in the fire so again symbolic so uh, this really wasn't my subject but I think you need to know the background of what I'm about to teach and I don't know if you realize it or not but you just learned some good stuff and Amen. Uh, it was all free didn't cost you a thing Amen. so don't throw it away but anyway let's see how Jesus answered Peter and the rest of his disciples let's see how he answered you and I because we're his disciples in verse 22 it's and Jesus answering saith unto them have faith in God wait a minute you just talking about a parable of a fig tree and then we ask you about it being withered and you're telling us to have faith in God are you going off script again Jesus are you changing the subject no he knows exactly what he's doing and what he's saying it seems like he went off script and changed the subject but he didn't he decided to use what happened with the fig tree and uh, teach his disciples and us a very valuable lesson about faith and how it works in verse 23 he says for verily again surely take it to the bank i say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart but shall believe whatsoever things he says shall come to pass he shall have whatsoever he saith a lot of whosoever's and whatsoevers Amen. In verse 24, he says, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. So he's going to explain to them how that fig tree did exactly what it was told to do, and that was to never be, to, to wither up and die and never bear fruit again. And, you know, there's always been a lot of focus on the mountain. Uh, that Jesus is talking about in this passage of scripture, and rightly so. I don't know any preachers, including myself, that hasn't preached about mountains and moving mountains, and that's kind of what I'm going to be preaching on today: is moving mountains. But there's also been questions about whether or not Jesus was speaking about a real mountain or a metaphor or a symbol of a mountain. And I personally believe it was both and you know, when I believe something, leave me alone. <laughs> but they're coming to Jerusalem and there's a mountain is close to Jerusalem that we know of called the Mount of Olives, Mount Olivet. And, uh, Jesus would go up into that mountain quite often and pray. And because it was near to where they were, I believe that Jesus was talking about the Mount of Olivet I believe Jesus looked at it when he said whosoever shall say unto this mountain I think he was looking at Mount Olivet and uh, another thing is he said whosoever shall he didn't say whosoever shall say unto a mountain he said whosoever shall say unto this mountain he had a specific mountain in in mind and I really believe it was the Mount of Olives because that's the mountain they were the closest to but if you stop and view this statement that he made from a prophetical standpoint Jesus is going to physically move that mountain when he returns to the earth I mean we're talking about Matthew 24 his imminent return well when he returns uh to the earth to the battle of Armageddon he's going to physically set foot on this mountain and, uh, you know, we talk about the rapture, we're going to meet him in the air. He doesn't set foot on the earth. That's not his second coming. His second coming, he will set foot on the earth. And as a matter of fact, Zechariah says, And his Jesus' feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. This mountain, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the middle thereof, toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. So Jesus, prophetically speaking, was talking about physically moving a mountain, a real mountain. And that's going to happen when he returns. But then if we treat this as a metaphor or a symbol, then we can say a mountain is any kind of obstacle or barrier or blockade or... Uh, something of a troublesome nature an obstacle before us for example the mountain Jesus was talking about concerning the Jewish church was the mountain of guilt that they put on the people and the mountain of corruption that they brought to the Jewish people to the Jewish church through their hypocrisy that's why I read where Jesus called them hypocrites for various different reasons he was rebuking them for what they were doing to the people They had the people serving them instead of serving God. They were a bunch of hip, well, for the most part, uh, like with anything, it ain't always everybody. There's always somebody that's got a true heart, but for the most part, the the Jews had turned it into a religion that was all about them. Uh, They were the ones that wanted to be revered and looked at. And that's why they, they, Prayed pretentiously on the street corner so they could be seen of men and things like that. They had the people serving them rather than serving God. This country is facing a mountain of corruption that's brought through a mountain of guilt that's been placed on a particular class of people, and they need to be removed too. These two mountains, they need to be removed. And they're going to be removed the same way we would remove any mountain, through prayer But things that you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, you should have them. And speaking and confessing to those mountains, they're going to move. They're crumbling right now. And, you know, metaphorically speaking, we could say a mountain is, uh, anything that would stand in the way of our forward progress, anything that would stand in the way of your, Uh, dreams and visions and aspirations, uh, uh, anything that would hinder that forward progress of you getting to that place, we can call a mountain, metaphorically speaking. And other mountains that need to be removed, it could be a mountain of doubt, a mountain of sickness, a mountain of fear, a mountain of debt, a mountain of worry. I mean, what's your mountain this morning? We all have mountains. I've been dealing with a few myself. And I've been doing exactly what Jesus said to do. I've been speaking to them. I've been believing in my heart that they're gonna move and be cast into the sea. Uh, Maybe you know I'm not talking to a physical mountain but this thing is stopping me from living a, a, a good and healthy life so I'm speaking to it and I'm believing it's gonna move. Amen. So they're physical and metaphorical mountains and I think that we can apply them either way without doing any injustice to the scriptures because like I said, Jesus is going to move that mountain he was pointing to. But here's another way to look at Mark 11:23. I've got to tell you, I'm preaching this to me this morning. If you want to listen, you're welcome to it. But I'm the one that needs this the most. You know, the, the, the word says that the husbandman is the first partaker of the fruit. In other words the farmer the one who's planting it is going to be the first partaker of it and you know that's not kind of what brother brother daryl found a way around this one but when i point to you i've got three fingers pointing back at me brother daryl points like this don't.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so it's me first amen but like i said you're welcome to listen if you'd like to but this is another way to look at Mark 11:23. 23. Jesus is saying that there is nothing that can stand before a believer who has a genuine and true faith in God. Nothing. That's the main thrust of this thing. Nothing. He said, have faith in God. The margin of my Bible says, "Has the faith? have the faith of God. And so if he told us to have something that we couldn't have, he would be a hypocrite. So if he said we can have the faith of God, we can have the faith of God. And what is the faith of God? What did God do when he created the, the heavens and the earth? He spoke. He believed in his heart. He spoke it and it happened. That's the faith of God. And Jesus is telling us that we can have that type of faith. But nothing can defeat him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But, it, uh, you know, it's, it's more of a verse about the power of faith and confession than it is about mountains. He used them as an... Example as an illustration But it's more about what we say and believe Than it is about moving the mountains And besides that Our job is to believe in our heart without doubt And speak what we believe And God will move the mountains Amen, Amen. I've got mountains in my life that I can't move But God said If I believe in my heart And not doubt And speak to those mountains They'll move And he'll be the one to move them. Amen. Hallelujah But did you notice that Jesus said if a person confesses something and shall not doubt in his heart, he shall have whatsoever he saith or whatsoever he confessed. In other words, if he believes without doubting in his heart, the words that he's speaking with his mouth, he will have exactly what he says. Amen. So he said in verse 23, for verily I say unto you, That whosoever, that means anybody, anybody can do this. We're all whosoever's. Shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And yes, Jesus is talking about mountains, physical mountains. And metaphorically and yes they will both move but what he's really doing is teaching us one of the most valuable lessons on faith that we could ever yes. get yes. the word doubt is from a Greek word which means to hesitate to waver to doubt to differ anytime you're hesitating wavering doubting or you're differing then you're not in sync with your heart. That's not faith when you hesitate. Faith don't hesitate. Faith don't differ from the Word. Uh, uh, faith doesn't doubt and faith never wavers. James said if your faith is wavering, he said let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. Faith don't waver. We can't waver. But he's saying that when a person's heart doesn't differ, doesn't doubt, it doesn't differ from what his mouth is saying, the combination of the heart and mouth uh, in agreement will always manifest faith and cause a thing to come to pass that that person is believing and speaking of. That's not too hard, right? In other words, he will give you the ability to eliminate things that stand in your way. Now, this is no magical formula. We don't go hope this poke this mind and hope this. It's gone. No. Uh, When you start believing something in your heart without doubting and confessing with your mouth, God will move you towards that goal. You may have a part to play in it. Other people may have a part to play in it. But God will do all the orchestrating. He'll bring everything into play in the right order that it needs to be to cause that thing to happen.
0: Amen.
1: You might be speaking to a mountain of debt and God will get you off the couch and help you find a job. But when you start believing in your heart and speaking with your mouth that you're going to get out of debt, then you've got to expect God to do something for you. Amen. And he's going to move you towards that goal, whatever it is you're going to have to do everything that's within your power before God kicks in and does his thing. Amen. But when you're in that position where you've done all the stand and you're standing and you're still trusting and believing in God, ain't no devil in hell going to stop him from accomplishing what you've been believing and speaking for. Hallelujah. It's not magic. It's just the way God's faith works. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We looked at the woman with the issue of blood Wednesday night. We talked about now faith. If you didn't see that, it was live. Right, Brother John? Wednesday night. Yeah, if you didn't see it, it's on YouTube. It's on Facebook. Uh, I can't say it was good myself, but several people said it was pretty good. You need to listen to it if you didn't listen to it yet. But we determined Wednesday night that she got exactly what she was believing and confessing. She got exactly it. Let's see how it works. We said in Mark 5, 25 through 28, and a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years. In other words, she was bleeding for 12 years. I don't know where from, but she had an issue of blood that wouldn't uh, heal. And, uh, uh, of course, she had to be replenishing that blood, you know, just like I'm building up my blood cells now by eating properly and exercising and stuff. But uh, for 12 years, she kept it going somehow, but she was always in a weakened state. Uh, You know, if you're losing blood, sometimes you're losing it faster than you can build it back up, you know. But she was staying with it. And she suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. I don't know the extent of the medical treatment of that day, but whatever it was, she got it all, but didn't get better. And verse 27 says, when she had heard of Jesus, that's the start of every good miracle. That's the start of any miracle. They're all good. But when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. And again, we said Wednesday, this woman's in a weakened state. Not only that, but she's in violation of the covenant and the laws, the Jewish laws, because she had an issue of blood. If you had an issue of any kind, you couldn't approach a priest or a man of God. You was ostracized. You weren't even supposed to be in public. So she just threw it all out there. She says... I'm going to get my healing today and I don't care what it takes to do it. I'm going to come behind in the press and she was pressing. Sometimes we got to press for something. It don't always come easy. It don't always come the way we want it to. Sometimes we have to press in and we have to keep pressing and, and overcoming and resisting things to get to where we need to be. And that was at Jesus feet for this woman. So verse 28 said, For she said, If I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. What was she saying? What she believed in her heart. She had to believe that in her heart without doubting, or she wouldn't have went through the hell that she went through to get to him. So she's confessing what she's believing. If I could just touch his garment, I shall be whole. I shall be healed. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That was some pretty strong faith without doubting. She didn't have any doubts. She didn't say, I wonder what will happen if I touch his garment. I heard that every man of God, every priest has a embroidery around the bottom of his, uh hem around the bottom of his robe. And there's supposed to be healing in that embroidery. It was a blue thread, like, and, and she's, I wonder what would happen if I touched that. No. She said, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be made whole. She had no doubt. So she's saying what she believes, and in her case, it was a mountain of sickness that was blocking her from living a healthy, fruitful, prosperous life. She was about to move it. Just like Jesus is teaching us in Mark 11, 23 and 24, by believing in her heart without doubt and confessing what she believes. She's saying, be thou removed, sickness, and be thou cast into the sea, because that was her mountain. And so she didn't doubt in her heart, but she believed that those things which she was saying would come to pass. That that sickness is about to move out of her life. Forever. And all I got to do is touch the hem of his garment and I shall be made whole. I shall be healed. Hallelujah. If I may but touch his clothes, I shall be made whole. But let me ask you this is that what happened? Does this woman still have an issue? No. Verse 29 said, as soon as her hand touched him, her bleeding immediately stopped. Now they specified as soon, well the Holy Ghost specified, as soon as her hand touched him, her bleeding immediately stopped. Was that what she was believing? Is that what she was confessing? And she knew it for she could feel her body instantly being healed of her disease. Did her mountain move? Yes. Hallelujah, her mountain moved. Yes. Quick, fast, and in a hurry. Yes. And the Holy Ghost specified that. Yes. Yes. But this concept is throughout the Word of God. We can see it with the prophets. We can see, You know, a prophet was reaching out into the future, grabbing something by faith and bringing it to the now. That's what a prophet does. Yes. Isaiah did it, Jeremiah did it, Ezekiel did it, all the major and minor prophets did it that's what they that's what prophesying was but we see this concept paul is teaching about salvation in romans 10 8 through 10 we're all familiar with this we call it the sinner's prayer or whatever but in verse 8 it says the word this is in the amplified classic the word god's message in christ in christ is near you how near is it paul on your lips and in your heart. Yes. Is that believing and confessing? That is the word, the message, the basis and object of faith which we preach. There it is in a nutshell. The heart, the confession, faith. Verse 9, because if you acknowledge and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and in your heart believe adhere to trust in and rely on the truth that God raised him from the dead you will be saved how do we get saved well Jesus saved us over 2000 years ago but how do we walk in the reality of that salvation how do we walk in the re- that reality of that redemption by believing in our heart the word the message the gospel That Jesus died, was buried, rose again, uh, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. We believe that without doubting and we speak it out of our mouth, what happens? Salvation. Salvation. We're born again, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then he explains it in verse 10. For with the heart a person believes, adheres to, trusts in, and relies on Christ, and so is justified declared righteous, acceptable to God, and with the mouth he confesses, declares openly, and speaks out freely his faith, and confirms his salvation. Is this what Jesus is teaching us in Mark 11, 23 and 24? Absolutely. If you believe in your heart, confess it with your mouth, salvation comes. If you believe it in your heart, confess it with your mouth, mountains move if you believe it in your heart confess it with your mouth healing comes this is how faith works this is how the faith of god works so paul's talking about receiving salvation but like i said this is the same concept that jesus was talking about if you can believe it in your heart without doubting and speaking from your mouth you can have whatsoever what do you need that's your whatsoever So this concept of believing in your heart without doubting, confessing with your mouth, whatever it is you're believing in your heart, it works for everything and everybody. That's whosoever can have whatsoever. So if you believe in your heart that Jesus purchased your healing, and you put your heartfelt faith together with the confession of your mouth, when those two are in sync, when your heart and mouth are in sync, then you can literally bring that healing into manifestation in your physical body. That's what Jesus said. So, and the reason is because creative, and I hate to say this, but I got, I'd got be remiss if I didn't tell you, creative and destructive power is released the same way by what you believe and speak in the case of that fig tree it was very destructive amen so the devil knows this concept as well and that's why we got to be careful about what you believe in your heart and especially what you say out of your mouth because when your heart and mouth get in sync something's going to happen good or bad the heart mouth combination works on both the positive and the negative and it can bring about the manifestation of healing in your body, salvation to your family, prosperity to your business or your job, but the devil also knows how to use it against you.
0: Yes.
1: Amen. But he has to come through your mind. God is in us. The Holy Amen. Ghost is in us. The greater one is in us. Yes. The devil has to come from the outside and get in. Amen. God works from the inside out, but the devil has to come from the outside to get in. Yes. And his entrance is your mind. That's how he gets into you. Yes. But if you allow him to, he'll have access to your spirit, your body, your very soul itself. Yes. And so we have to be careful what we allow in our hearts. That's right. He knows power is released when your heart and mouth start working together. And that's why it's so important that we put the right things into our heart. Mark 11, 23 promises that whatever you believe in your heart without doubting and say with your mouth will come to pass. Yes. So like I said, it applies to anything you believe in your heart and say with your mouth. So if the devil can get you to believe wrong things yes. and then start speaking them, yes. he wins. Yes. Uh, Proverbs tells us in four twenty three. Proverbs 4, 23 keep thy heart with all diligence in other words everything you got be diligent about how you guard your heart that's what keep means like he told Adam to keep the garden he's saying guard the garden he's saying here guard your heart with all diligence for out of it your heart are the issues of life and how does that life issue out of your heart and and into your, your uh, actual walk on this earth by you believing the right things and speaking them. Mm -hmm. Life will issue from you. Mm -hmm. But he also said life uh, life and death are in the power of the tongue. So if you believe wrong things and speak wrong things you can bring death to things in your life. Death to a marriage, death to a relationship, death to your finances, all kinds of things. But it's a scientific fact that when you speak something out loud those Words are verified and empowered in your heart and your mind. That's why pastor is always telling us, read out loud. You need to hear what your mouth is saying. Yeah, it's all right to to read silently when you you have to. But whenever you're uh, reading and you can, you know, you're not on a crowded subway or in the middle of Walmart. Read out loud. Hear what the word is saying. He said faith comes by hearing. thinking about it. So read out loud, pray out loud, speak to your mountains out loud. Don't just do it in your mind. But anyway, we know that our minds are the battlefield in which you will engage the enemy of your soul. This is the battlefield here. Not your spirit, not your heart. And if the devil can get you to speak the things that he puts in your head, then he will build a stronghold in your mind, and in your imagination. And when, you know, when you start entertaining a thought and entertaining it, and it gets to the place where you can't think of nothing else, it becomes a stronghold. And then just like with faith, it starts moving you towards that thing that you're envisioning, Mm -hmm. that thing you're dreaming of. And eventually it will have you doing those things. That's how faith works. And it works for the devil the same way hallelujah in 2 Corinthians 10 4 through 6 it says for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal in other words they're not fleshly but mighty through God through the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God or we could say the Word of God because that's the knowledge of God And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. In other words, something comes into your head, a thought comes into your head, and it's from the devil. And you take that thought and you put it alongside the word of God. And when you see that it doesn't match up, it doesn't coincide with the word of God, you cast it down as a vain imagination. And you hold to the Word of God which is true amen so taking your cap- your thoughts captive is a 24 7 365 job especially when you're in a crisis especially when you're in a, tri- a test or a trial the enemy is relentless in his efforts to get you to accept his thoughts and uh, you know you can't always stop the thoughts from coming but you can take amen. them captive you don't have to entertain them you can cast them down and and Paul even told us what to think on what's everything the true lovely just pure honest and a good report if there be any virtue if there be any praise think on these things yeah. so you have to replace those thoughts with God's thoughts replace them with the Word of God mm-hmm. see you can always refuse to entertain them. you can't stop them from coming but you can always refuse to entertain them and allow them to become strongholds and imaginations. If you don't, then it won't be long until your faith begins to empower those thoughts and they become a reality in your life. Just like Jesus is teaching us. I think the devil sometimes pays attention, don't you? But that's why it's so important for you to spend time in the Word. God's Word brings a nas- uh, just a natural type of cleansing, uh, you know, uh, we're cleansed by the washing of water by the Word, the Bible says, and so in other words it's like a mountain stream. <laughs> I be mean, this ain't a good illustration, but it, that water comes from the top of the mountain through rain or some melting snow or whatever, And as it's traveling down the mountain in these little streams and brooks and little gullies and stuff, it passes over rocks. (laughs) (laughs) But as it's passing over the rocks, it's cleansing. Not only the rocks, but it's cleansing. It's the water is being cleansed itself. And so by the time it gets down, it's been filtered through the uh, grass and the L.G. and the weeds that are growing in the different places, That water is getting filtered, filtered, filtered until when it gets to the bottom of the mountain, it's drinkable, it's pure water. We buy mountain water in bottles mm-hmm. they haven't done anything to it, they just it gathered in a, a, a pool at the bottom of the mountain and they just fill up bottles and sell to us for a dollar a bottle, sometimes more depending on where you're at. <laughs> But why? Because it's cleansing. And that's the way the word is. You keep running that word through your marbles and it (laughs) it cleanses out all the impurities. Amen. Hallelujah. Romans 12, the first part of it says, Be not conformed to this world or the things of this world or the thoughts that the devil puts in your mind because that's all he knows is what's in the world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? Through the Word of God. We constantly run in the water of the washing of the water of the words for our minds. And that happens when you replace the thoughts of this world with God's thoughts, which are much higher, the Word of God. So what you believe in your heart and speak out of your mouth is gonna determine all the victories and defeats in your life. What you believe and what you speak is gonna be the difference between de- victory and defeat. Yeah. Amen. That's why we gotta watch our mouth so much. You know, uh, I've asked this question myself, you know, God, why did this happen to me? I'm a healing preacher, I preach healing. I don't ask that question anymore I haven't for years but people do people ask that question why did that happen to pastor I know he believes in healing I know he's a, a preacher of the word I know him well let me just put it this way it rains on the just and the unjust alike Jesus said that right yes. now I can hold up an umbrella but that doesn't stop us from raining And sooner or later, you're going to get caught in the rain and you're going to get wet. But God has a remedy. I mean, why would he say in Exodus 15, 26, I am the Lord that healeth thee. If at one time or another in our life, we wouldn't need healing. It'd be wonderful. You know, faith doesn't always prevent things from happening, but faith will get you out of some things. I mean, uh, sometimes, you know. God shows up just in time, just at the right time. Yeah. And, you know, people wonder, well, where was he? Well, you know, well, just stay in it. Stay in the fire and he'll show up. And, uh, you know, the three Hebrew boys, mm. they wouldn't have seen Jesus that day if they didn't get thrown in the fire. Wow. Sometimes we got to go through the fire before we see Jesus and I'm gonna tell you I've learned a lot of things through this fire that I've been walking through and and most of the things I learned was about Jesus why I spent some time with him in that fire now I went in the fire by myself at first till I realized he was with me then when I started seeing him everything changes yes amen. everything changes and like, like with the he, three hebrew children uh you know uh, no, no miracles happen i mean no soldiers got licked up by the flames or died or anything like that until he, they were thrown in the fire and uh, jesus shows up mm. and then when he showed up the only things that burnt on them was the bonds that were they, that they were tied with I don't know, maybe their feet, their hands for sure, but that's all that burned up on them. In other words, they were set free from the thing that had them bound, yeah. wow. amen? Yeah, and that's what we gotta believe for. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Don't be afraid to get caught in the rain. Don't be afraid to have to go through the fire or go through some waters that are over your head because he'll be there with you. Wow. You know, one of the most comforting scriptures that I, I quote on a regular basis is Isaiah 44, 10 where he says, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help thee, yea. I will strengthen thee, yea. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. I quote that a lot. It brings me comfort, brings me faith, brings me courage. Sometimes you just need some courage. But, you know, I was talking about the thoughts that the devil places in your head. And uh, sometimes they come faster than you can ward them off with your face shield. I mean, sometimes they're like a machine going, and you know what? Sometimes it's all day long and half the night. And I'm speaking from experience. But I'm telling you, just keep holding that face shield up. That faith shield, Paul said, will quench all the fiery darts right. of the wicked one. Mm-hmm. But what if you ain't holding it up? Thank God for the faith shield. Thank God for the shield of faith. Yes. You know, that's that's one of the best uh, defensive weapons that we have. All the weapons that God gives us are good. But that faith shield, all the fiery darts. And man, he is constantly. Shooting them darts, shooting them darts, shooting them out of darts. Sometimes all day long. But keep doing it. Amen. Because if you don't grow weary, you will reap. You will reap. Amen. The thing you believe in God for. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's get ready to receive communion. I've kept you long enough. I hope hope that you got something from this today. This isn't just a cute message. This is a way of life for us. God told us we walk by faith. We live by faith. This ain't something that visits occasionally when you're in the gym. This is a lifestyle that we're supposed to live. And this is how you exercise. Believing. Speaking. Get the right belief system going in your heart. And then start speaking.